0: If you would, let's turn in our Bibles to Acts chapter 2, and I'm going to read to you verses 5 through 11 in about three or four minutes. But turn to Acts chapter 2, we'll start at verse 5, and we will do our normal routine. This is the word of the Lord, praise be to God, at that moment. Uh, But in our last study, we've been looking at the holy community on these afternoons services just a little different than normal evening but in this last study we looked at Acts chapter 2 and we said the apostle Peter he preached a sermon on the day of Pentecost and what we said is there was the reversal taking place of what happened in Genesis 11 remember what happened in Genesis 11 let's let's go back to Genesis 11 everything happening in Acts chapter 2 is a reversal of what happened in Genesis 11 the Tower of Babel. God has told men and women to go out and be fruitful and to multiply and to be uh, exercise dominion over the whole earth while men decided that they would anchor in the plain of Shinar. They just go out and they anchor in the plain of Shinar. All these men and all these women are taking their families and they decided to settle in one place. And men began to build a city, not for God, but a city for man. And they began to build a tower, an edifice, a place of worship for them that would make a name for themselves. And so instead of going out and following God's creation mandates, man drops anchor in the land in the plain of Shinar. And God knows this. God comes down and sees this. And God is going to judge this. Where men will not obey, God forced men to go out and separate. He caused their languages to be changed and people began to separate from one another and go out all over the face of the earth. But we come to Acts chapter 2 and the preaching of the gospel begins to take place and all these scattered people begin to come back into one one place They spoke all kinds of different languages, but what's gathering everybody together is the one language called the language of the gospel. The gospel is going to be preached in Jerusalem and Judea, and that's what we're going to look at here in a minute. And then it's going to be preached out there in the the place of Samaria, and then also to the uttermost parts of the earth. And it's all about one language, though. There's still going to be all the languages in the world right now. We know there's all those languages. But there's one language called the gospel that brings us all together. And when when Lori and I, we took the kids back in 2010, we went to New Zealand. And um, that's a a big story all by itself. But when we went to New Zealand, they drive on the wrong side of the road, folks. And I had to drive in one of their cars. (laughs) And I'm driving on the wrong side of the car. And I'm scared to death the whole time. That's Lori. We had fish and chips, and they talked funny, and they thought I talked funny. But when we went into the worship, when we went into that building, all of a sudden everything came like like looked normal. There were pews, there was a pulpit, there was an organ, there were places for people. You know, there was all the normal thing. They they had Bibles just like ours. They had hymn books just like ours. They sang the same songs with a different accent. But we had one language that drew us together, and it was the gospel. Now, as we continue to study this Acts chapter 2, and we're talking about the holy community, we've been looking at the fellowship of the Spirit. In Acts 2.42, it says that the, that the disciples were continually devoting themselves to the apostles' doctrine, to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayers. And so we today are going to look at what are some of the hindrances... To the fellowship of the Spirit. And so I want you to take notice of all the diverse people that are in Acts 2 5 through 11. So I'm going to read that to you now. Acts 2 5 through 11. Now there were Jews living in Jerusalem, devout men from every nation under heaven. And when this sound occurred, when the Spirit came down, uh, the sound occurred, the crowd came together and they were bewildered because each of them was hearing them speak in his own language. They were amazed and astonished, saying, Why are not all these who are speaking Galileans? How is it that we each hear them in our own language to which we were born? Parthians and Medes and Elamites and residents of Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and the districts of Libya around Serene, Cyrene. And visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabs, we hear them in our own tongues, speaking of the mighty deeds of God. This is the word of the Lord. So we have Jews and we have proselytes. Now, proselytes are Gentiles who, you know, adopted Judaism as their religion. And did you notice from all those places? These are Jews from all these places. And there's one issue about that. They're all Jews, but they're all from different places all over the Roman Empire. And that means that there would be a little bit of difference between how they do things. So if you were a Jew living in this part of the Roman Empire and I was a Jew living in this part of the Roman Empire, we would all come together in Jerusalem and we might have a few different customs. We might do things a little bit different. We would have different languages and we, but we would be all Jews, but we would have this great diversity going on, and the only, uh, only the Holy Spirit of God would be able to hold such a diverse group together and bring unity. In fact, if you turn in your Bible to Acts chapter six, verse one, because of this diversity, there was some tension that broke out in the church. Now I'm just going to read to you Acts six, verse one. Now at this time, while the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint arose on the part of the Hellenistic Jews against the native Hebrews because their widows were being overlooked in the daily serving of food. So you've got Hellenistic Jews and you've got native Hebrews. What's the difference? Well, Hellenistic Jews would be the Jews who were probably from all over the dispersion. There were all the Jews throughout all parts of Rome. And they were those who spoke Greek. And so they were moving into Jerusalem, and there were the native Hebrews who spoke Aramaic, and they lived in Palestine. And the rub would come in that they were different in some ways. And one of the things that happened during this time is that food was being distributed on a regular basis in Hey, you know, this is part of the sermon that's coming in the future one day. There was ongoing diaconal work going on all the time before there were ever deacons. Did you know that? There was serving of tables before there were ever guys like Stephen and Nicholas and all these other guys who became the first deacons down there in verse 5. And so when this came up, when this tension rose, it, it, we're really not told much about it. We're just told that, that the apostles said, we need to pray and we need to preach. And we need for you guys to choose among yourselves seven men full of the Holy Spirit and full of wisdom to take care of the serving of the tables. And they took care of it. They did it. It's all taken care of. But what are some of, if if you will, what are some of the hindrances to the fellowship that we have even here, we might say? What are are some of the things that could hinder our fellowship? And the first one I want to give you to, to think about is this, schedules. Schedules. Are our schedules too full for Christian fellowship? Think about that. Are our schedules so full that Christian fellowship is impossible? And we as Christians, we must remind ourselves the world is pulling us, pulling on us to do too much. Um, to, To have a child on not one team, but maybe four teams. At the same time <laughs> you ever seen that I've, folks listen I've seen it I was a trainer and I I didn't really you know somebody asked me I've told you all this before somebody asked me when I got to California did you ever want to be a personal trainer I said no I never wanted to be one but boy did I learn a lot being one so I watched people parents when they would finish up pick up their kids at school and they became chauffeurs to every next thing they had to do let me give you a case in point Uh, Every Wednesday at 4 p.m., eight fifth graders showed up to train with me. It was a great hour. I marked off the field. They came over to the elementary school. All these eight kids would get out of the car. I'm going, man, I'm, look how much money I'm making in one hour. And so I got these kids running them up and down the field, parents dropping them off. It's four, it's to five. Five comes up, and then some, another car drives up. And all eight of those kids get in another car, and they all are shipped off to Dallas for a 90-minute drive to Dallas to go to club soccer. And then when club soccer's over, that's 6.30. They get there at 6.30, it goes till 8.00. At 8 o'clock, somebody picks them up, takes them back home. 90 minutes back, at least, you know, we're now we're looking at 9.30 to 10. Now it's time to do homework. That's too much. I, I can tell you many stories about these kids. By the time some of these kids got to 10th grade, they were done with soccer. They didn't want to go to play soccer in college anymore. It's just the pull of the world is to do everything. The pull of the world, we could go into the neurological parts that our brains and our neural pathways, we only have so much time to get more neural pathways uh, all the way till you're 13. And because of that, we just got to get our kids doing all these things and get really good at all these things before they're 13. There's all these things we can talk about. The media tells us, and there was a commercial a long time ago that said, I can bring home the bacon and I can fry it up in a pan. Remember that, Linda? No, you can't. You can't. You can't do it. We can't do too much. All of a sudden we find ourselves doing too much and we have fellowship is choked out. One of the things we studied about in the men's group, which has just been fascinating to remind ourselves of, is the fourth commandment. And that the fourth commandment is not just about this day, but the fourth commandment is about the whole week. (laughs) And me structuring my week so that I can be here on this day and worship and have fellowship It's about discipline, isn't it? In the parable of the sower, Jesus speaks of the seed that's sown on thorny soil. And the idea is that the seed is initially interested in the gospel, but then the seed is choked out by the worries of the world, worrying about maybe my child being involved in everything. And you and I, we must choose what's most important. (laughs) We, you know, we must choose what's important. Is throwing a baseball more important than the gospel? Now, I'm not against baseball, folks. I want my son to be able to throw the football better, but he doesn't throw the football as well as his dad does. But I think he knows the Bible better than I did when I was his age. What are we choosing? What's of utmost importance? Uh, J. Gresham Machen wrote in 1925, the most important thing of all There must be a renewal of Christian education. It is the chief business of the hour for every earnest Christian man. The chief business of the hour is what? To learn your Bible, to know what Christianity is, to know about Jesus Christ. Christianity cannot subsist unless men know what Christianity is. We have to choose. Gospel over sport, gospel over too many sports, gospel over too many appointments, gospel over too much overtime, gospel over money. We have to choose. Jesus said, seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things would be added unto you. The Apostle Paul says, this one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and reaching forward to what lies ahead. I press on towards the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. I love what Jesus says to Martha. Remember, she's worried and bothered about so many things. But listen, there's really only one thing that's important. And Mary, she's chosen the best part. It cannot be taken away. She chose those words at Jesus' feet. This is a good warning for us to be careful about our schedules so that Christian fellowship is not impossible. Second, Second, finding fellowship somewhere else. Are we finding our fellowship somewhere else? We have to be so careful because the world would suck us in to find our fellowship with the world. One commentator put it this way, Demas is a warning for us. In Colossians 4.14, Demas was with the Apostle Paul. He sends greetings with Paul. He sends his greetings with Luke to the church in Colossae. Then the Apostle Paul writes a letter to Philemon. It's a personal letter to a friend, and Demas is called a fellow worker with the Apostle. He's called a fellow worker with Luke and the others. But when you get to 2 Timothy, this is what the Apostle Paul writes. He says, Demas, because he loved this present age, deserted me, and he's gone to Thessalonica. Now some people have said that Demas is a demented person. I don't think Demas was a demented person. Think about who he's running around with. He's running around with the Apostle Paul and he's running around with Luke and he's a smart guy. There's a whole bunch of chapters in our Bible written by Luke. Did you know that? Go go, go! figure out. 24 chapters in Luke, 28 chapters in Acts. A lot of chapters. This is a smart guy. Demas is running around with smart guys. He's not demented. But I think what he did is he starts comparing life in a prison with life outside the prison. Life in Thessalonica. Life in there with Luke, who's taking care of Paul. like Life in there with Luke and Paul and the people who send money. You know, we've talked about that in Philippians. We're sending money, they're taking care of Paul. Back in those days, remember, it's not like you know, going to prison these days. Some people go to prison to get their teeth fixed. I mean, it's not like that. And so he's comparing and he's going, hey, look, I find my fellowship in Thessalonica. I'll find my fellowship in another address in the world you know the world is always pulling on us and satan he's real smart and he knows that if you and i stand for jesus christ maybe our friends and maybe our neighbors they won't pull on us anymore and try to influence us to have fellowship with them and their in those worldly ways anymore but satan he's very very smart and let me give you one big caution The most powerful means at his disposal, and I actually happen to have the most powerful means at, at his disposal, is this. It's this. It used to be, we would say, maybe TV. Why is this his most powerful means of, at his disposal influencing us? Because it's, it's with me wherever I go. And it can be used for tremendous good. And it can also be used for tremendous going the wrong direction. And so you and I, we fellowship today. Let's talk about the... Hey, wow. We had some fellowship last night. And we had some... some, A cookie with fruit on top of it called fruit pizza. Unbelievable. And we had somebody putting us through these games, and every time they would win, they wouldn't get one point, they'd get 1,000 points. <laughs> and, you know, we had this fun. And so we went home, and then we came today. We're having this great time today. And so then you can go home tonight, or this afternoon, and you know what you can do? You can look on a website. It doesn't have to be a bad thing. It can just be a website. And you start comparing this with that. And Thessalonica is saying, Come on over here, brother. <laughs> Come on over here. Come over here and find your fellowship at this website and stop finding your fellowship with God's people. And it happens. It happens every day. Before we know it, we've changed our address from real fellowship to a website. God forbid. Think about that. Third, criticism. Are we fearful of criticism? You know, uh, one of the biggest issues in Acts in Hebrews 10.25, it said some had formed the habit of neglecting to meet together because of criticism. That was probably what was going on. They were being criticized. They were giving themselves to fellowship. They were giving themselves to being in church and worship and all of these things. And all of a sudden, people were criticizing them. It goes something like this. Back to the parable of the sower. Jesus warns of the shallow interest of the gospel seed. It may exhibit joy. The seeds on rocky soil, it may outgrow all the other seeds in the other soils. It's just blowing up with love for the Bible and love for fellowship. And then the sun comes out, the criticism comes out. And so people neglect this worship because, hey, I don't want to be criticized. So we have to think about criticizing. Criticism, And then fourth, here's the last one, too troublesome. Now, this one really gets, this one gets in the gut. This one gets in the heart, doesn't it? Uh, too troublesome. You know, seeing, seeing you guys out there, y'all need certain kind of help, and maybe I don't want to give it because it's too troublesome. <laughs> you know? There's two basic needs in the church. You know what they are? physical needs and spiritual needs. And spiritual needs can only be met with your resources and your time. And spiritual needs usually are met with just your time. And did you notice that both of them have time on there? (laughs) And what's the most valuable thing that I think I have? Time. Time spells love. And so do I love myself and sit in front of the TV or do I love you and go help you? I'm not saying, again... I like sitting in front of the TV and taking the load off just like anybody else. When we are challenged with needs, physical and spiritual needs, the knee-jerk response of the flesh is to say, Oh, no, that's just too much trouble. (laughs) How many of you ever said, My schedule! My schedule! My relaxation! But our spiritual knee jerk response should be I can get involved with this person or that family and I can give up my wealth and I can give up my time and I can do it because Jesus tells me to and I can get a reward from it. It is more blessed to give than to that this is something that you know you have to talk yourself through. And as you talk yourself through this and as you do these things, wow, all of a sudden the benefits come. The apostle John and James, the Lord's brother, they warn us not to see the needs of others as too troublesome. Let's take John first. In 1 John three seventeen and 18, he says, But whoever has the world's goods and sees his brother in need and closes his heart against him, how does the love of God abide in him? Little children, let us not love with word or with tongue, but in deed and truth. Now listen to what James says. He says it with a different flavor. If a brother or sister is without clothing and in need of daily food, and one of you says to them, Go in peace, be warmed, and be filled, and yet you do not give them what is necessary for their body, what use is that? Even so, faith, if it has no works, is dead, being by itself. Now, think about John for a second. He's going to challenge our love, and James is going to challenge our faith. James, John says, If you can close your heart to your brother, Who's right in front of you? How can you say that you love God who you can't see? That's John's argument. He's going to challenge our love. And James challenges our faith. If you can say to a brother who needs clothes and needs food, and instead of meeting it, you know, have you ever heard a person say, go in peace, be warmed, and be filled, you know? Pious sounding, right? That's real pious sounding. James would say, well, that's no faith at all. Because faith works. Faith without works is dead. We believe, and we always we always need to say this. How are we saved? We're saved through faith in Christ alone. Write that down. And then that faith, though, is never alone. It will find itself out there taking care of other people. And all of us have material things that we can give, all of us have precious time that we can give, and you know most of the time, what people need the most is not your stuff. Put that, write that down too. Not your stuff. You know what they need the most? You. They need you. And if you're going to give you away, it means that you're going to have to see these things as not so troublesome, but ble- but a blessing. Now, let's just finish this by saying, asking the question, how many times have you dreaded doing the right thing and you went out and did the right thing and you found out it was a great thing to have done? We can all say yes to that. Oh man, I've got to go, I've got to do this, i got to get all ready, I go out and then I come back and I'm going, what? I'm such a fool. Why Why did I even think I should have known it was going to be like this? because it's more blessed to give than to receive. And I want to commend our guys. I want to commend you guys because wow, you are giving, you are loving. You maybe if you had some, felt it was a little troublesome you hadn't told me about it. You got over it. You learned it, right? Let's keep giving ourselves to each other because it will be very inviting for those outside this church. Well, let's conclude with this point. What is the force that binds our fellowship together? The force that bound the early church together was the grace of God. Acts 4.33 says, And with, with great power the apostles were giving testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and abundant grace was upon them all. It's grace, it's the grace of God that forges our community. And it's the grace of God that overcomes the desire to sit alone in a room by yourself. It's the grace of God that causes us to rearrange our schedules and be present for fellowship. It's the grace of God that keeps us from finding fellowship somewhere else, a website. It's the grace of God that causes us to forget criticism. It's the grace of God that teaches us to give up our time, and our precious resources. By the grace of God, the early church had been born into the family of God, Luke would tell us. They all could call God Father. And if they called God Father, that meant that all the people involved around them were their brothers and their sisters. Luke calls the followers of Christ in the book of Acts, the brothers, 25 times. The followers of Christ are called 23 times, disciples. Twenty-two times the followers of Christ are called the church. Five times they're called the believers, and four times the followers of Christ are called the saints. But twenty-five times Luke calls them the, the brothers. So for Luke, a family bond is vital and important. If you're born of the Father, then you will be brothers and sisters. Now listen carefully. So in Luke, Luke's first Luke's first book. He's Luke Acts. He wrote Luke Acts. Luke gives the story of the rich young ruler. And he says this. Jesus is confronted by the rich young ruler. And the rich young ruler says, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus immediately just zeroes in on the idol, right? He says, Go sell all that you have. Give to the poor. And you will have treasure in heaven. Then come and follow me. And oh, his head falls down. He, he, what are you saying? All, all my stuff? Because he had so much stuff, and Jesus zeroes in on his idol, on his stuff, and he asks for everything. And remember, last week we said, how much does he does God want of us? He wants us all in, all the time. He wants you, all of you, all the time. And so he's asking for everything, and he tells him that he will have treasure. In heaven, And the rich young ruler turns and he walks away. But here's the key. Peter says this, Behold, Lord, we've left everything for you. We left our homes and followed you. We've left it all. And Jesus says in verse 29, Truly I say to you, there is no one who has left house or wife or brothers or parents or children for the sake of the kingdom of God who will not receive many times as much at this time and in the age to come eternal life. What did he just say? Did you get that? <laughs> if you leave everything for me, I'm going to give you many more times as much in this age and eternal life then. But what does he mean? Think about it. I mean, I sit there. This is okay. What do you mean by that? You're going to receive many times as much. Well, let me be, let me just take you to Mark chapter ten, verse thirty. This is what he says. This is what Mark says. This makes it really clear. You will receive a hundred times as much now in the present age. What? Houses and brothers and sisters and mothers and children and farms along with persecutions and in the age to come eternal life. Mark adds a little bit of information there. But we don't have to wonder what he meant by as many times as much. What's he mean? hundred times as much what? Family? Farms? Houses? Sisters? Mothers? Brothers? I'm still... Okay. So have you ever seen a person who's left, been separated from their mother, or separated from their father, or separated from any family? Have you ever seen anybody all of a sudden become the owner of a hundred homes? Have you ever seen anybody who's become the bro- having a hundred brothers and a hundred sisters and a hundred mothers and a hundred grandmothers? Have you ever seen that? Physically, have you ever seen it? That's why- the reason you haven't seen it is because this is a spiritual thing. And he's saying, you will receive a hundred times as much if you lose your mom in this earth. You know what? You have a family of God. And you'll have a hundred mothers who come to say, you know what? I'll be your mother. I'll be your brother. I'll be your sister. Um, You know, what was that when Kyle and I went out knocking on the doors the other day, and it was that Spanish saying, mi casa, su casa. I'm not good at this. My house is your house. That's what Christians say. All of a sudden, I just got, all your houses are mine, because you'd say, hey, Pastor Mark, my house is your house. Make my house your house. Make my pantry your pantry. I'm an older person. I'll be your granddaddy. When Eden was here, she told me she would be my mother because <laughs> she's my mom's age. So when you and I, when we come into the family of God, we're, we're part of it. I have people who are my, I have some people in California who would call them my mom and dad too, right? The, the rich lines, they would call themselves my mom and my dad. And we have people who are younger, younger than us who would be our brothers and our sisters, Luke wants us to see that the church is a family. We're all individuals, but we're all individuals who are part of a family unit. This is the the church's identity. Luke never uses, it's interesting, he never uses the verbs for love. He never uses the nouns for love. He just talks about how people get together and they're together sharing and they're (laughs) together sharing devoting themselves to doctrine and they're together fellowshipping and they're together giving and they're together receiving and they're together and that's what love looks like, being together. Let us follow the early church's lead and operate as brothers and sisters and mothers and fathers in the family of God. Let's pray. Our Father, we thank you for this opportunity one more time to open up your word. We thank you for our Lord Jesus Christ. As we've read in Acts chapter 2, when the gospel was preached, all these people began to focus in on him and be saved. And they all joined and had this marvelous collection of people, diverse in all sorts of ways, and yet became one through the gospel of Jesus Christ. And we pray, Father, that this would be true in, among us. We all have our own. We're all diverse. We're all different. And yet you make us one in the gospel. And you make us willing and able to share and be brothers and sisters of one another. Strengthen us as we grow together in our love. And we do praise you and thank you for this opportunity to be in this place today. Take us home safely. Lord, strengthen our bodies with the rest we receive tonight. May we go out to do your will on uh, tomorrow in the work that we have to do and the things that are before us. Give us strength, give us energy, and may we glorify you in everything that we say and everything that we do. And Lord, even as we go to bed tonight, help us begin to prepare for this next Sunday's worship. and We'll praise you for it in Jesus' name. Amen.